This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Shelter Cove 99.5. And we're live and archived on the web at kmud.org. And the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of this station, its staff, or underwriters. Time will be made available for other viewpoints. Thank you for joining us. And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. It is 76 degrees and 7 o'clock. And it's time to ask your herb doctor. Welcome once again to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the uh, shows which run every third Friday of the month from nine, oh, sorry, from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions. And we manufacture all our own certified organic herb extracts, which are either grown on our CCOF certified herb farm or which are sourced from other USA certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's loose subject of cellular repair and uh, we're going to look into avoiding scarring amongst other things so the number here if you live in the area is 923-3911 or if you live outside the area the toll free number is 1-800-568-3723 and we can also be reached toll free on 1-888-WBM-HERB for further questions during normal business hours Monday through Friday well once again we have our very popular ever present scientist to uh, share his views and opinions with us on this show and uh, that's Dr. Raymond Pete. Dr. Pete, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, hi. Uh, Again, as always, for those people who perhaps have never listened to the show, if you would just give people a uh, a resume of your background, that would be uh, much appreciated. Um, 1968 to 72, I studied uh, mostly physiology and biochemistry at the University of Oregon. Uh, and I uh, did my dissertation on age-related uh, changes in 
the uterus um, oxidative uh, changes uh, and I found that uh, estrogen and uh, polyunsaturated fats uh, tend to accumulate or increase in the tissues with aging and interfere with the use of oxygen. And uh, since then, I've been working out the implications of that. And the, the topic you mentioned uh, derives from that subject. Yeah, good. Okay, so you did say that oxidative uh, changes in utero. And uh, I think that's the, one of the first things I think I'd like you to uh, open up with, the, um, the parallels between the development that you've mentioned that happens in utero, which is very interesting, which happens without a scar. So whenever a tissue is damaged in, in utero, the uh, scar actually doesn't happen, whereas in, in uh, regular life, once we're exposed to the things that you'll, you'll bring out, scarring is pretty common. But there is definitely a way to do something about it, isn't there? So, yeah. Uh, in the uterus, um, early in the development of the embryo, uh, there's no blood supply, and so the, the cells are uh, just absorbing oxygen and, and sugar and uh, amino acids and vitamins and such from their environment. And uh, uh, as the cells change their, every time they divide, uh, the environment for each new cell is different. Uh, the, the more cells there are, uh, the more complex the environment is. And if you happen to be next to a hungry cell, you won't get the same supply of, of uh, oxygen and sugar. And so the changing shape as the embryo grows uh, interacts with and modifies the supply of, of nutrients. And so the uh, very shape that the embryo develops into is governed partly by uh, the supplies that the mother can deliver to it. Now, it, it, this, this relates to things like uh, brains, brain size or skull size and... Uh, Everything, yeah. yeah. The, the, um, for, for example, they knew in the 50s already that if you lowered the blood sugar of uh, a well-developed fetus uh, using either estrogen or insulin, which would lower the blood sugar, the brain cells would simply stop multiplying as long as the blood sugar was inadequate. And uh, when, if you take a, a, a chicken embryo in an egg, for example, uh, its brain stops growing exactly when the hens provided glucose supply is used up. But if you open the egg and <clears throat> inject a little bit of glucose, uh, the brain will start growing again, and the chicken will develop with a, a bigger brain than normal chickens ever had. So this is why it's so important for pregnant mothers to have optimal nutrition because it's supporting the growth, the brain development and the growth of their baby to an optimal level. Um, yeah, from the month six to delivery, uh, most of the brain cells develop. In, in fact, about half of the brain cells that are present at month six uh, die off. And 
uh, that's how you can influence the size of the brain by providing sugar. The more sugar there is, the fewer of those uh, month six brain cells will so die off. Maybe pregnant mothers needed to just be hooked up to an IV of... Fructose. There you go. I know you've mentioned in the past that fructose crosses the uh, placenta and like glucose, but it doesn't come back to the mother, so it's uh, it's stays trapped. Yeah, it's a good sugar to provide. Yeah, it's it's what the baby wants apparently because it doesn't give any back. Well, supposedly uh, it's very traditional in the Steiner philosophy that mothers should eat a lot of honey, and honey is very very you know, high in fructose like sugar is as well. They're both similar, aren't they, Dr. Pete? Yes. Okay, so uh, to, let's, let's open up a little bit more. The, uh, um, the differences between scarring in adults uh, when they are compromised by what it is they eat and what they don't do and how uh, in utero with the high levels of progesterone and the absence of the, uh, well, hopefully the absence of the polyunsaturated fats, uh, scarring is, is virtually is virtually absent. Yeah, or, there, totally there's absent. no inflammation involved in repair. Uh, if you remove some tissue in the, the fetus or embryo, uh, the adjoining cells simply multiply and fill in uh, with more cells. Uh, apparently, the, you've left the uh, available nutrient supply uh, increased relatively by taking out some cells, and so the neighboring cells have more and can simply uh, grow faster and fill in the space. Right. Uh, but in a mature uh, animal, uh, there, there are many things that interfere with that. The blood supply is interrupted if you uh, have an injury, and so the supply of sugar and oxygen is reduced, and and so there are mechanisms to make up for that, uh, to try to increase the delivery of sugar and oxygen. And this is a stress metabolism. I tried to ex- yeah. describe yeah. it to people that it's your emergency backup. Basically, if you're not performing, if your body's not performing under ideal conditions, then it does the next best thing, which isn't a particularly good job. Right, but at least it gets the sugar there to the degree it does, but it has other harmful inflammatory effects. Um, yeah, it, the uh, glucose is largely provided during stress uh, from breaking down proteins. Uh, first, you use up what's stored as glycogen, but uh, when that runs out, then you have to break down protein. That's why it's important to only have, um, do not go longer than eight hours because you use up all of your glycogen in your liver, right? Yeah. Go, and, I'm not Sorry, not to go more than eight hours without eating. Yeah, uh, and... The uh, lack of oxygen is, is, or the presence of lactic acid, which is pr- produced by a lack of oxygen, um, either of those turns on uh, the production of a very simple protein that serves as a supporting material, but also as a barrier substance, uh, so that... Uh, cells that are injured uh, put out uh, the framework collagen material, but too much of that uh, will increase the distance that oxygen and sugar has to travel to reach the cell, so it can make the problem 
progressively worse, um, the more a cell embedded, embeds itself in collagen as a result of the stress. And uh, so you get more uh, framework material, but uh, less functioning cellular material, and, and that's a scar. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the, the whole uh, life development of the organism, every uh, tissue has to renew itself uh, constantly, uh, like your, your skin and your intestine. Everyone knows that those are uh, streaming from the stem cells at the, the bottom of the uh, layer uh, as the cells multiply and mature. They reach the surface where they fall off, uh, but every tissue and organ in the body is undergoing the same sort of uh, movement from stem cells to mature functioning cells, and uh, that is uh, ideally that's uh, just a continuation of the development of uh, cells in the embryo and fetus. Uh, they're fed. They multiply, expand, and com- complexify. But as things uh, interfere with the ability to use energy or oxygen, the mature animal uh, progressively moves into a generalized inflammatory state. Uh, it doesn't take a specific wound to turn on these uh, uh, cytokines and hormones and such, histamine and serotonin and so on. Which are all the uh, backup stress. Uh, yeah, stress itself. Emergency. A, a generalized systemic stress starts turning these on in your fat cells, your liver. Every organ can produce these. And uh, that starts basically to uh, shift the whole body in the same direction that scar formation goes. Your whole body uh, loses vital functioning cells and replaces them with uh, collagen, uh, inert connective tissue, so that uh, old meat, for example, is tough because it's full of collagen. Um, An old uh, animal hide is thicker and tougher because there's more collagen in it. Uh, kid gloves are delicate, but uh, mature goat skin is, is a, a thicker kind of leather. And that happens uh, in all of the tissues, uh, progressive, basically uh, turning towards a scar tissue type of right. function. So that's, go ahead, sir. So what, so I w- just wanted to ask what types of um, processes inhibit the ideal use of oxygen and sugar in our bodies? Um, Well, the um, thyroid is the basic thing, and uh, thyroid activates the respiratory enzyme for for which copper is the uh, crucial uh, cofactor. And so if you load up on iron, uh, an excess of iron is one of the things that tends to displace this crucial copper. Um, And uh, anything that interferes with your thyroid function will also interfere with the functioning of this copper-containing enzyme. 
uh, too much darkness, not enough good light, uh, reduces the activity of this enzyme. So people need to get lots of sunshine this summer, and it doesn't have to be during the hottest time of the day. Actually, it's more ideal if it's not during the burning hours. So it's in the morning or in the later afternoon, evening. It's the red light that's so regenerative and healing and helps your body use oxygen and sugar more efficiently. Yeah, and um, in the absence of sunlight, if you just um, shine a very bright incandescent light on your tissues uh, within a few minutes, the oxidative enzymes are activated and uh, reduce stress. And of course, the more of your body that's exposed to the red light from the sun is good, or from the light bulbs, normal incandescent bulbs. But even if you just walk around with uh, short sleeve shirts and shorts on in the summertime, you'll be getting, it doesn't matter which part of the tissue it touches, any part will help all of the tissues throughout the body. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Ab Doctor, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, uh, from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. You're invited to call in with any questions uh, related to or unrelated even to this month's uh, subject of cell repair and how to avoid scarring, amongst other things. Uh, our guest speaker is Dr. Raymond Pete, um, and thank you again for joining us, Dr. Pete. I just wanted to um, carry on the... Uh, the, the kind of concept of not, not uh, scarring, healing without scarring is uh, pretty, uh, pretty new uh, to me in terms of um, the way I think most people understand the way their bodies work when they get injured, they get cut, uh, generally you form a scar. So what you're saying is really, in the, especially in the absence of PUFA, now the, the polyunsaturates that people consume in their diet from the uh, liquid vegetable oils and the other sources of polyunsaturated oils that have a very negative and inflammatory effect in the cascade that would otherwise produce um, active cell repair without scarring, as well as the other products would have to be necessary. And, and some of the worst inflammatory uh, agents are produced directly from uh, the vegetable oil, polyunsaturated fats, uh, the omega minus 6 class uh, form of the prostaglandins. Right. And these are very pro-inflammatory. So yeah, and the, <clears throat> the fetus is highly protected against those, so that right. uh, people talking about <laughs> the essential fatty acids so-called uh -huh. have noticed that human babies and uh, calves are born in an extremely deficient state they yeah. say uh -huh. and, and that's been used to sell uh, the addition of fish oil to baby formula and oh, such goodness. oh goodness when well, actually it's completely the opposite that they don't need it and don't want it yeah the, the <laughs> placenta protects the baby right. against those fats they, they don't cross the placenta then uh, no, the, the sugar that the baby does absorb uh, makes the, the uh, omega-9 right. series, uh, which are anti-inflammatory. So humans haven't eaten these oils in such large quantities uh, ever before until the 1920s. And that's part of the reason why there's so many degenerative diseases. And we're going to talk about a few more, like the pancreatic damage that happens to the beta cells from excess omega-6. 
Yeah, if, if you would, Dr. Pete, yeah, I know in the past you've mentioned this as well, but I think to um, people that are listening would certainly love to hear it again. Uh, uh, diabetes, I know you've mentioned that as a typical illustration of that vicious cycle that builds up when polyunsaturates intensify the stress reaction. That, and, and stress can be just everyday stress. That's true, isn't it? Just normal stress. It doesn't have to be physical trauma. Uh, yeah, any time your blood sugar falls, uh, that's a stress reaction. Uh, it, it first calls up adrenaline to move uh, glycogen into the bloodstream, largely out of your liver, but your muscles have quite a bit of, of stored glycogen, too, that they can use. And uh, adrenaline first activates that. But when you run out of a stored uh, glycogen and your blood sugar falls more... And how long does that take? Um, <laughs> some people do it in uh, two or three minutes, but <laughs> okay. with a good liver, uh-huh. uh, you should be able to go eight hours without right. any stress. All That's right. why That's... as soon as you wake up in the morning, you should have a glass of orange juice <laughs> or something yeah. sweet to get your blood sugar back up from the, the, the long night of fasting. That's why it's called break fast. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Dr. Pete. So, uh, um, you mentioned when, when the blood sugar falls or when you have any stress, the adrenaline... After the the um, glycogen is depleted, the adrenaline starts mobilizing free fatty acids right. out of your uh, fat cells, but also out of your other tissue cells where uh, phospholipids are, are turning down very fast, and mm-hmm. uh, the phospholipids will come into the blood, releasing free fatty acids. And if you've incorporated a lot of the polyunsaturated fats. Mm-hmm into your tissues, these free polyunsaturated fats happen to uh, not only uh, uh, interfere with sugar metabolism, uh, but they also signal more stress hormone production. So so they will tell your brain uh, that the stress is worse than it was. Right, they have an intensifying effect then. Yeah, as opposed to the saturated fats, which uh, uh, tend to inhibit the stress reaction. So it's a, a self-limiting thing. If, right. if you've been a, a, a sugar or saturated fat eater and have a stress, you release the saturated fats, which are anti-inflammatory, and turn off <clears throat> uh, the stress hormones. Wow. Okay, so that's why if you don't eat, then you'll eat yourself. If you don't feed your body, then your body will eat itself. And just to detail for our listeners, Dr. Pete, can you please explain which oils are included in these polyunsaturated fatty acids that we're talking about tonight, or otherwise known as PUFA? Um, Yeah, all of the things you see widely advertised, uh, uh, corn oil, canola, uh, soybean oil, Safflower oil, sunflower oil, walnut oil, uh, sesame oil. Cottonseed oil. Yeah. Okay, so to, to look at, um, I think, again, to refresh people perhaps that are listening, because I know that the epidemic of diabetes is uh, certainly taking, taking the uh, quality of life away from a lot of people. So perhaps if you illustrate the... Uh, role of the uh, cause of, um, or maybe not the cause, but the sequelae of diabetes as a, as a uh, kind of illustration of this uh, stress reaction and the, uh, the vicious cycle of inflammation? Um, yeah, the, um, 
American diet in the last 30 or 35 years, when the diabetes and obesity have been increasing so much, the polyunsaturated fats are the biggest increase in our diet, not sugar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, if you look at the, uh, the nature of the pancreas, um, the, there's a constant renewal of the beta cells that produce insulin in the pancreas. Okay. So uh, the idea that once you're diabetic, you're doomed to always be diabetic because you don't have the cells in the pancreas, uh, that went out when people discovered the idea of stem cells. Uh, in uh, one of my newsletters on sugar and diabetes, I mentioned the studies that showed that uh, glucose stimulates renewal of the beta cells in the pancreas. <laughs> so that's sugar for helping a diabetic's pancreas uh, regenerate. To, to renew itself. Yeah. But if, since the polyunsaturated fats and, and the prostaglandins that they form mm-hmm. are toxic to the beta cells, right. if you don't have enough glucose, uh, you'll just keep killing any beta cell that appears, even though you do have the, the stem cells, they'll uh, be converted to beta cells just to get killed by the PUFA. Right. And it happens that the stem cell, uh, the flow uh, from the, uh, the, the new cell to the mature insulin cell, it happens that one of the early stages uh, in this streaming is from the glucagon-producing alpha cells in the pancreas. The alpha cells turn into beta cells as they mature, and the glucagon-producing alpha cell raises the blood sugar. And so if you have a lot of the alpha cells uh, in proportion to the beta cells, Mm -hmm. that will create apparent diabetes because the glucagon causes the breakdown of, of proteiny tissue uh, and uh, increases the, the glucose, which is helpful potentially mm-hmm. if it's only a, a temporary right. measure. So it's like but, a stress reaction. The body's yeah. trying to emergency save the, save the lack of sugar in a diabetic's pancreas by increasing the amount of glucagon to raise the blood sugar. Yeah, and... Then, when you, if you have a lot of sugar supplied, um, you don't need the uh, glucagon-producing cells, so they move on under the influence right. of sugar. <laughs> the, the flow is increased, and you produce the the beta cells, um, and uh, the sugar should be holding down the stress and preventing the free fatty acids, which would form the prostaglandins that would kill the beta cells. So this is why you mentioned that study done in England that showed in uh, the early treatment of diabetes, they actually gave the diabetics sugar because they noticed they were losing so much sugar in their urine and they actually improved. Something like 12 ounces a day, they said, of the highest quality white sugar. Yeah, and they started picking up weight. Because it lowered the stress and allowed their beta cells to fully develop. Within just a few days, they stopped producing so much sugar in their urine as they were eating these huge amounts of sugar. And uh, 
as they stopped destroying their own tissues, uh, they began gaining weight instead of losing weight. Yeah. Okay, so again, I think this moves on to our next topic. The, the concept of um, cell streaming and stem cells. Stem cells are a pretty hot topic uh, in the last, certainly the last decade. And I wanted to just, just uh, make people aware of a couple of different um, doctrines. And, and you're, you're in, in one of them. <laughs> so it's a, a kind of um, the Hayflick doctrine that I know you've mentioned before in the 60s. Uh, basically, uh, the one extreme was to say that there were no stem cells. And then uh, an article that uh, you pointed out that I read earlier from a, uh, well, I don't think he's actually Israeli, but he's, he's a Jew, and his name is Gershom Zayacek. And he uh, has produced a lot of uh, articles on, the, he's actually an MD, but he's produced a lot of articles on the Internet um, about the streaming organism and, amongst other things, the uh, Kabbalistic uh, meditative methods of uh, overcoming cancer, amongst other things, but not to diverge from that. And your, your opinion about the streaming uh, of cells from one cell type to another is that there really is no point at which, stem, uh, at which cells do not um, turn into different cells. You're saying that ultimately any cell can become a, uh, a progenitor or a stem cell? Um, yeah, that's easiest to see probably in the liver. Uh, the uh, Zayacek has demonstrated that there is a flowing from the portal vein side of the uh, mm -hmm. lobule in the liver, right. uh, moving the cells towards the, uh, the vein in the center of the lobule. Uh, but um, about 50, more than 50 years ago, L.P. Polizhayev was demonstrating uh, that kind of renewal in uh, uh, muscle cells and even brain cells, and uh, showing that even mature neurons, uh, given the right kind of stimulation, can undergo mitosis and, and become new cells. Mm -hmm. um, one of the current places where where this is important is the idea of adrenal fatigue that a lot of people are talking about. Right. Um, it it um, ultimately derives from the idea of Addison's disease and a misinterpretation of Hans Selye's uh, stress research in which he showed that very intense stress uh, would cause the adrenal glands to... Uh, enlarge and even bleed and then die and then the animal would die okay. uh, but um, if if the stress is moderate um, the uh, adrenal is is very good at, at renewing itself um, you can demonstrate the total renewal of the adrenal cortex by scooping out the contents everything that's inside the capsule of the adrenal gland can be scooped out and the cells of the inside of the capsule, the fibrous capsule, mm -hmm. uh, there's a layer of cells that will multiply and they will, within about three months, produce a fully structured brand new adrenal gland. Wow. <laughs> and so it, it's the same idea as... Uh, uh, the pancreas renewing itself if you give it a chance. Right. And uh, the same 
logic that you can see in in the the feedback systems of uh, sugar and glucagon and uh, uh, the uh, shift to um, insulin in proportion to the available sugar in the adrenal gland the uh, cells that are near the capsule are the cells that produce uh, uh, aldosterone or the other the, the class of mineral uh, steroids, mineral regulating steroids. Uh, the, as they mature and stream towards the center, um, they <coughs> turn into uh, another layer that produces cortisol and the glucocorticoids. Right. And uh, then at the last stage, they produce the androgens and sex steroids. And they um, know, it's amazing how one cell knows how to differentiate into all those different types of cells to produce different hormones. And it happens that uh, the things that are most uh, stress-producing, like uh, serotonin, for example, uh, or shock, uh, will turn on the activity of the uh, glomerulosa layer that produces the aldosterone. And aldosterone intensifies uh, some of these defensive stress reactions. And the, the people are now starting to uh, speak of it as an endogenous toxin that, that activates so many of these stress reactions. Wow. But serotonin is a major factor in turning it on. But it's the first thing produced. And as the organism starts surviving, if it can get past that shock stage uh, with adequate sugar, then uh, the, the glucocorticoids are produced and finally the sex steroids, which uh, aren't needed if, if you're going to be <clears throat> in shock and uh, uh, starving to death and so on. So the, the, They're the, the least important um, in the emergency mode, but the most yeah. important in a healthy mode. Yeah. So this is why it's so important to eat optimal nutritionally, eat optimal nutrition so that all of your cells can function normally and healthily and regenerate. Yeah. And, and uh, when you um, are in this healthy state um, producing an abundance of progesterone and testosterone, for example, uh, these turn off the aldosterone production. So once you achieve uh, the mature, happy state, uh, then even though your your cells are still there and they're still streaming, uh, their function is inhibited the same way that sugar inhibits the function of the glucagon-producing cells. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Galbaville 91.1 FM. And from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of cell repair uh, and how to avoid scarring, amongst other things. Uh, guest speaker is Dr. Raymond Pete, and the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-568-3723. I uh, just wanted to bring, bring out the point that um, you'd mentioned, that in Africa... And I think the same parallel is something that we heard about or were, were taught. Um, 
that honey has been traditionally used to heal wounds and is actually very effective at doing that in the absence of antibiotics or other uh, anti-infective measures. That You've also mentioned that sugar can be packed into a wound if you don't have antibiotics even. If you have a, a fairly large wound and you can pack sugar into it, you have a very good chance of healing it um, properly. Yeah, in, in Africa when there was no antibiotic available and they had to do chest surgery, <laughs> <laughs> they simply filled up the chest hole with uh, massive amounts of sugar, uh-huh. and uh, they discovered that it not only didn't get infected, uh, but it healed basically without scarring. Wow. And in the newsletter on diabetes, I mentioned uh, some of the references where they, they find that packing a wound with sugar uh, inhibits the formation of excess collagen and uh, causes, causes an almost scarless healing. Wow. Well, honey never goes bad, right? Um, yeah, uh, partly it's the uh, osmolarity. It, it dehydrates thing, but things, but it also has uh, uh, the antiseptic Antimicrobial, yeah. ingredients that white sugar doesn't have, uh, and it has the fructose, which uh, promotes uh, actual uh, healing instead of scar formation. Okay, and some of that also is uh, linked to the fact that the uh, e- energy supply is present to drive the uh, cellular repair um, locally. Yeah, yeah, keeping the uh, energy supply equal to the demand is is what short short circuits the inflammation mm-hmm. system. It, it goes right to repair like the fetus. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to another subject. I know that uh, you've you've talked about a little bit in the past, but we've never really um, done a um, a show based around it. And that was the um, similarities of uh, toxemia. Toxemia. And this will be a subject that will be in, uh, of interest and importance to pregnant ladies who perhaps are halfway through their pregnancy or not even. That um, toxemia and preeclampsia have uh, similar effects to what you would expect to see in aging and fibrotic inflammatory conditions as well as atrophy in general. Uh, Uh, Yeah, just about everything that happens to a woman in preeclampsia and to the fetus uh, is similar to what is happening to uh, uh, advanced aging symptoms. Uh, uh, Loss of functional tissue, uh, all kinds of um, uh, circulatory problems, hypertension, uh, uh, nerve problems, liver liver malfunction, uh, inflammatory processes everywhere. And in the 1950s, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Brewer uh, was shocked when he uh, saw the drug companies uh, promoting the sale of diuretics to pregnant women to prevent <laughs> edema. And uh, uh, at the same time, uh, doctors began advocating salt restriction besides uh, use of diuretics and diet restriction to prevent, uh, supposedly to prevent toxemia because uh, toxemia involved swelling and edema and 
so the drug company said, here's a diuretic to get water out of the body. Wow. But if, uh, the, the mechanisms by which it, it gets water out uh, reduces uh, the, um, the blood volume, and uh, that tells the kidneys that you need more circulation, more blood, and the kidneys circul- uh, signal uh, with renin, uh, to um, activate the uh, the adrenals, for example, to produce more aldosterone, uh, and to uh, try to increase the blood volume to save sodium. Right. And so when you cut down sodium, you make the adrenals produce more aldosterone uh-huh. to retain it. Right, self-defeating. And, and so Tom Brewer reviewed the evidence already in the 1950s he had a good collection of uh, scientific studies showing that uh, more salt was the cure <laughs> to uh, toxemia uh, protein was the thing he mostly emphasized right. but protein and plenty of salt and calcium so milk was um, the ideal protein because drinking two quarts of milk, you'd get more than 2,000 gram, milligrams of calcium. And uh, the calcium is one of the things that helps to turn off aldosterone. And uh, the, the sodium is, is very powerful at turning off the aldosterone. And the aldosterone is one of the immediate villains in producing uh, many of the symptoms, such as leakiness of blood vessels lets the water fall out of your blood, uh, cause your feet and face and such to swell up. Um, so just drinking more water just causes more right. edema. Yes, yeah. And that's doesn't. still a common recommendation for yeah, that doctors give to pregnant mothers. Well, I'm not just talking about in general, but actually to pregnant mothers. They say, you need to increase your fluid intake. And they don't mean orange juice or milk or other nutritious liquids. They mean water. Yeah, the medical profession has pretty much quietly forgotten about the uh, salt restriction and and diuretic episode because it probably would be considered a crime against humanity that would uh, lead to uh, replacing medicine with chiropractics or something. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, now they're still doing silly things like advocating drinking more water. Okay, so to get to get on to uh, calcium uh, and in its role, I think a lot of people don't understand this. And it, again, I don't know how it happens. I don't know how the whole thing happens with uh, salt restriction being a medical uh, piece of advice uh, and actually causing edema. I don't understand how people take it on board that the diuretics they're given are really doing the opposite of what that they should be, not what they should be doing, because they shouldn't be used, but that diuretics are actually self-defeating in terms of how they work physiologically, and and how sugar has been so maligned, and how it's so important. Calcium, again, is another one. So I think the concept of when you have a low-calcium diet, i.e. you're not drinking a lot of milk, you're not eating cheese, uh, and the other sources, maybe greens, uh, the other sources of calcium, that when you have a low calcium in your diet, your blood calcium actually gets 
bigger, that the, the, the uh, concentration of calcium in your blood increases, and that calcium is very damaging to soft tissues. Can you just say a little bit about that? Because I think that's another common misconception. That um, uh, yeah, uh, David McCarran, uh, about uh, 30-some years ago, worked at a California university, and, and he noticed that, according to the government's own figures, uh, the people who had the highest blood pressure ate the least salt, and the people who <laughs> ate the most salt had the lowest blood pressure. And he yeah. said, there's something wrong with this idea of yeah. restricting salt. And so he looked at the figures and saw that calcium was really the main thing affecting blood pressure. He got fired from uh, that university and moved to Portland and uh, had, a, I guess, about 30 years working at university in Portland, uh, continuing to do research. So there are many papers by McCarran uh, showing uh, that it's really a, a calcium deficiency uh, rather than a sodium excess that causes high blood pressure. Because uh, calcium is another thing that will lower the stress hormones, um, and, that yeah, helps and, the stress, and that helps lower blood pressure. Yeah, parathyroid hormone is what you can see most easily coming down when you eat more calcium and have adequate vitamin D. And parathyroid hormone increases aldosterone. And so you restrict calcium, your parathyroid hormone goes up. That makes your aldosterone stress hormone go up. That makes you <laughs> increase your blood pressure and retain sodium. Wow. Okay, uh, I think the last time, this is uh, Ask Your Herb Doctor. It's uh, quarter to eight. So from now until the end of the show at eight o'clock, you're invited to call in. Uh, the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911 or the 800 numbers 568-3723. It would be a first for the show if no one called in, and I'll take that as a very excited state of listening, listening uh, listeners. <laughs> People are just so plugged into listening here. I know sometimes we get lots of calls, and at this point in time, it doesn't really matter. But if you'd like to call, that would be that would be just fine. Okay, so the whole calcium thing is a uh, another misnomer. Then uh, that calcium, when you don't take adequate calcium, your blood calcium goes up, and calcium gets deposited in the soft tissues. And this is also part of the reason why the uh, <laughs> the cardiovascular disease happens in the first place because of the uh, insult we've taken. And calcium being taken up into the into the uh, arterioles and then becoming less flexible. Uh, yeah, the uh, parathyroid hormone takes calcium out of your bones and uh, uh, moves it into all the soft tissues, yeah. kid kidneys and arteries, are the, where it causes the blood pressure to rise and the arteries to become stiff. Yeah. So a calcium def deficient diet leads to hardened arteries and high blood pressure. Yeah. Well, okay. That's a we've We've actually got three callers now, <laughs> so we better start taking some callers. Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Yes, I know you were just explaining the salt connection, but I want to get a little more clear on that because uh, so many doctors seem to think that salt is just the worst thing in the world, and especially if you have high blood pressure. And recently I had a, a situation, well, I'm a bit overweight, but and my blood pressure was high. Now I'm on medication that takes care of that. It's pretty mild. It doesn't have side effects. But um, I've always liked salt, kind of had a craving for it. And um, I had 
atrial fibrillation recently, which it turned out was related to uh, suddenly I'd had an overactive thyroid, and I'm taking treatments for that to try to balance everything out. But the cardiologist thought that I should eat, uh, like practically cut out salt because she thought that that would um, help me lose weight and uh, bring my blood pressure down and that the blood pressure could aggravate the atrial fibrillation. Although it's interesting that uh, weight doesn't seem to have anything to do with atrial fibrillation like it does other kinds of heart disease. So um, I haven't had an atrial fibrillation attack since I've been dealing with the, the thyroid balancing it out. But in the meantime, um, I'm wondering about the salt thing. I mean, my blood pressure seems to be controlled with the medication. Um, is there any advantage to cutting back on salt for me? Dr. P. The um, hypothyroidism causes uh, you to lose sodium, and it's probably the main cause of, of people having high aldosterone. And once you have high aldosterone because of low thyroid or low calcium... Well, I, have, I had hyperthyroid. I had an overactive thyroid, and now well, I'm getting it under control. <laughs> That's often a diagnosis, but uh, it's often uh, uh, doubtful how, how factual the diagnosis is um, because uh, stress will cause your TSH to give an indication of hyperthyroidism, and the high stress hormones can give you many of the symptoms of hypothyroidism, but those can very often be cured by a a supplement of, of thyroid. And well, I, I'm actually taking thyroid now to balance me out. <laughs> did you, well, did you, you have go. a treatment? Yes, I had the radioiodine treatment to mm. shrink my thyroid. So now it's down. It's producing less than it should be. And um, I'm just about at the end of the uh, shrinkage. And so now they've got me on 88 milligrams uh, or micrograms of thyroid to balance it out so I don't produce less, because producing more can be really dangerous, too. Uh, increased blood viscosity uh, is a major thing causing uh, the uh, rhythm problems, uh, atrial fibrillation. Well, they've got me on a blood thinner and, and a, a blood uh, a regular and a heart regulator. Um, uh, thyroid, by making you able to regulate your minerals uh, thins the blood and uh, it, it makes it easier for your heart to pump the blood uh, by lowering the viscosity and regulating uh, the minerals uh, to maintain the right uh, volume of blood at the right viscosity. Uh, so uh, investigating uh, your thyroid function in more detail, uh, you might not need uh, the blood thinner because thyroid uh, is, is uh, probably the, the basic thing that keeps the blood viscosity low. And hypothyroidism is extremely uh, common as a cause of hypertension, uh, and that involves increased aldosterone, and that will create the appearance of so-called salt sensitivity a calcium deficiency and low thyroid function make you actually sensitive to salt so that you can raise your blood pressure 
by taking salt. Well, now I'm getting my blood, my thyroid balanced to where it's where it's supposed to be. So you're saying that will it's in my blood naturally. They're hoping that that will occur. Um, but where does the salt fit in? Can I can I have a, you know a normal amount of salt without worrying about it? I, I... Um, if your calcium intake is is uh, well over uh, a thousand. Um, milligrams per day, and your vitamin D is good, uh, then uh, there's very little likelihood that you will be one of those salt-sensitive people. Okay, because uh, I am taking a good amount of vitamin D. I've been tested, and I don't have a shortage of vitamin D, which most people apparently do. And, uh, you know, calcium, how much calcium do I need again? A uh, thousand? A thousand or two thousand milligrams. Okay. All right, well, thank you. I'll let somebody else have a turn. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call. Okay, we've got two more callers, so let's see if we can give them both equal opportunity. You're on the air? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Um, yeah, my question is about one of Dr. Pete's newsletters on um, tissue-bound estrogen and aging. And I was just wondering, um, he mentions that for um, menopausal women, they often get uh, a lot of the estrogen concentration in their tissues as opposed to their blood. But progesterone can knock it out of their tissues and into their blood. I was just wondering if it would be um, advantageous if they could um, take a dose of progesterone and then get a phlebotomy. Would that help to decrease the systemic estrogen? Um, no, if the liver is working, if you're eating enough protein and if your thyroid is okay, your liver will send the uh, estrogen straight to your kidneys to be excreted as soon as the progesterone gets it out of your cells into the bloodstream. And there are several uh, enzyme systems involved in this. The progesterone basically destroys the estrogen receptor that binds estrogen. It destroys the enzyme that releases estrogen from uh, uh, the glucuronic uh, form to deposit it in cells. It activates the enzymes that uh, add the glucuronic acid to remove it from cells, um, and it shifts the uh, oxidative uh, enzymes so that they destroy the active form of estrogen. So everything progesterone does uh, to estrogen system gets it out of the cells, and then your liver will, will send it to your kidneys to excrete. And progesterone helps the liver get rid of the excess estrogen as well. Yeah, progesterone activates the thyroid to do that. Okay, so their body would take care of it naturally without having to take the blood out. Um, yeah, uh, basically thyroid and protein nutrition are the, the things that shift the balance. Okay, excellent. Thanks a lot. Thank okay, you for your call. One more caller. You're on the air. Hi, um, I was... Uh... I'm going to talk quick and get to the point because I know you have a little time. Uh, I was told that uh, in this culture, because people's diets are so acidic, that um, and, and there's like a lot of cultures that don't eat any dairy whatsoever. But they and they eat white rice, but they eat like a lot of fish and well, not a lot of fish, like small amounts of fish, but a lot of vegetables, and they get all their calcium just straight from that. And they never take supplements, and they don't have osteoporosis. And it was told to me that because of the acidic um, diets that we have, that the body will actually release calcium out of its out of the bones, 
and teeth in order to save the arterial walls from, you know, being uh, destroyed ultimately from all the acidity in, to try in an attempt to alkalize it. And that's why, you know, we have so much osteoporosis. And I was just wondering what your uh, thoughts were on that. Where, you know, basically, I was told that it wasn't necessary to take calcium supplements if you were, you know, eating a balanced alkaline diet. Um, well, one of the problems with calcium supplements is that uh, some of the cofactors are very bad, like calcium phosphate. Uh, some of the supplements have so much phosphate that it's the phosphate that increases the um, stress hormones and um, activate the um, uh, breakdown of the bones. Uh, but the, the, um, the main things that take calcium out of the, the bones besides an excess of phosphate are uh, cortisol, prolactin, and uh, serotonin. And those all trigger parathyroid hormone. Yeah. So. And, and other stress hormones. So in, in terms of the, the caller's question about the acidic diet, do you think that has a direct effect on uh, calcium mobilization from the bones into the blood? Well, uh, phosphate is the main acidifying thing in in the diet, and it mostly comes from beans, whole grains, and seeds and nuts, <laughs> right. and meat. Sounds like a vegetarian diet. Oh, and meat, yeah, of course. So that's why I think the, the generalization is that American diet is very acidic because meat is very acidic, whereas dairy products are actually, milk is almost, I mean, it's very neutral. Yeah. If anything, it's a little bit um, alkaline because of the high calcium, and it's actually a calcium deficiency that will cause so much calcium to leach out of the bones and get deposited in the places you don't want it, like your kidneys and your arteries. Okay. I don't know if that answers the question, but we do only have three minutes left, so we need to uh, give uh, credit to Dr. Pete and let uh, listeners know how they can find out more information for themselves. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for calling. And uh, for those people that called in this evening, uh, thanks for calling. Um, okay, Dr. Pete, thanks so much for your time again. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, so Dr. Raymond Pete's uh, website is www.raypeat.com. And uh, there's lots of scholarly articles there for you to read. Uh, there's probably something in the region of about 50. And they're all fully referenced and uh, many different topics of contention uh, being exposed for what they are. Uh, incredible lies, <laughs> I think, in, in, in short. And, um, like they yeah. say, a lie travels around the world faster than truth can get her boots on. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so... Uh, we can also be reached, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, toll-free uh, during Monday through Friday at one eight 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 wbm herb And in a few days here, it'll be the solstice, the middle of the year, and the days will start to get slowly shorter. But at this point in time, the sun's right in the middle of the sky, and people's thyroid should be doing good from all the sunlight. So vitamin D is going good, and people keep this polyunsaturated fats out of your diet, and you'll be going a long way to improving your health. Anyway, more next month, the third Friday of next month. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening.
And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, KMUE Eureka Arcata, 88.1, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and FM Translator K258BQ Shelter Cove, 99.5. We're also live and archived on the web at kema.org. Get ready to get funked up with Cousin Mark. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. 